Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Really 007 podcast for another special behind-the-camera interview with BAFTA winner, Alan Church. Good evening, Alan. Good evening. Lovely to be with you all. You I too. Hope, I hope you find all my stories interesting because um, <laughs> I still find them interesting as well sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forget some of the things you see and it's, it's like the brain cells get a bit dead and when you start talking to you know, equal fans and everything, things come out a little bit, you know, more coherent of what I did in the past. Well, we, we, we haven't heard all these stories and people watching haven't either. And we're all mm. Bond fans. That's the end of at the end of the day, aren't we? So we, we love talking about Bond and, and hearing <laughs> from somebody who's behind the scenes for the Bond films themselves. Yeah. So Alan has over 30 years, I'm thinking right, of experience in the yeah, 1981. Yeah. 1981, yeah. 40. <laughs> it is, yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. But he has worked yeah. on five Bond films, is that right? Yeah, yeah never say oh, never again. Um, I, I can't count. Octopussy, View to a Kill, Living Daylights, License to Kill, Golden Eye, and oh. Never Say Never. Oh, what a run that is. Yeah, my <laughs> word. Sean, Roger, Tim, Pierce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely incredible. incredible. Yeah. What a claim. Yeah. Just to let you know, guys, you, you can watch all our other interviews on YouTube. Um, you can listen to our other episodes on iTunes and Spotify. We're on mm. social media, which is where we actually uh, touch base with Alan on Instagram. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. So I'm Tom Pickup. I've got uh, Rob here with me and my brother Harry. So we're we're we're, we're all fascinated with the world of Bond, no yeah. more so than the era that you were working on. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm 
yeah, I, I'm so pleased to have been part of the, the Cubby family. Yeah. And I'll tell you about that, you know, a bit later about, you know, I, 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 I was a really, a, you know, backroom boy that um, absolutely mad about Bond. And well, I'll tell you about, you know, my career actually and how I got interested in Bond as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I won't go too slow because we'll be here till tomorrow. But, um, <laughs> <I don't laughs> but basically, well, how it started is that I, I, was, I was always mad on, in, into films. But um, my brother in 1971, uh, for his birthday, went to see Diamonds Are Forever, Oof. you know, when it came out. And I, I, my brother told me about this amazing opening and couldn't understand what it was, these dots and things like that. And I was gagging at the bit to go, to, you know, because I was really um, given films to watch, like the, the, the Disney films uh, and things like that. And I think The Battle of Britain, I don't know how that got into the whole frame, but my parents took right. me to see The Battle of Britain. <laughs> um, but I love that. There was this double bill around about my birthday, I think it was, Doctor No and Thunderball at the Odeon Rangers Lane. And Dad took me and my brother to see it. And it just changed my life because I, I it's not the word camp, it was just something I'd never seen before. And what blew me away was, you know, the... Uh, the, the drama of it, the screen going black, these dots going across oh. the screen. I've never seen anything like it. And then these silhouettes and all of that. And then the villains, however the top they were, you know, and how they, um, how their demise was and, you know, and all of that. It was just amazing. It was, it was pure fantasy. Um, uh, and so that came out and I was hooked. And then I think Living It Die came out soon after in 73 and I remember the short film about flying fish or something a bit in Hawaii or whatever but I saw that about 20 odd times when it first came out and my poor gran just you know she's bless her I didn't want to see any more Disney films my my fix on films were carry-ons I'm gonna tell you about that you know, oh, yeah. carry-on movies because I, yeah. I love them I love them I'm, that's my humor still is and I and the bonds and so I started really getting into those films, you know, and it was just an amazing time to be brought up in Harrow because I had so many cinemas and it was like Betcham's Metroland. You had the Granada, my local Rain, Rainers Lane, which I ended up working there as well. But um, so I, I ended up following all the cinemas and then I started progressing into the West End and, and seeing the movies at the London Pavilion Cinema as well. And through that, I got a load of my posters, um, you know, and, and bits and pieces from the managers because I was just mad on it. And obviously, t- t- towards the late 70s, you know, all the double bills that were going on, I was finding out about the premiers and I, and I was getting really interested in getting the movies, movie industry. And I managed to find the charity who was doing the Moonraker premiere. Me and my friend Mark, we got ticket to the Moonraker premiere. Ooh. It was just incredible because I, 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 well, prior to that, sorry, with The Spy Love Me, I went to see The Spy Love Me at the Odinessa Square, and that was the first film I'd ever heard in stereo. I didn't know stereo existed in the film. But the, uh, although the films were that were released on 35mm were mono, but the Odinessa Square, having subsequently known that the chief projectionist at that time was running the film, it's called Separate Mag, which is a separate mag track, 35mm, running in sync with the print. And so they had a special premium print, which was mute, and they ran it with the soundtrack, which was six-track stereo, and I've never heard a sound like it. And to this day, oh, I, wow. it was an incredible mix. It, I call it organic sounding to it because it was a mag track. And, and nobody to this day has got this on record, but that, that is true. And that blew me away. And anyway, so I, I, I got tickets to the Moonraker premiere, and I saw all these people. You know, the first star I ever saw was coming along, and, and they didn't have this much security in those days. So you could wander around was Michael Lonsdale, who's a very tall oh, guy. Oh, yeah. And I got his autograph and I got loads of others, Bernard Lees and ever. And I just saw these people 
you know, knowing everybody else and kissing and, oh, how are you? And all of that. <laughs> and I just thought I'd love to be a part of that. I really would. So I was nearing the end of being at school. And then 1980, I left school. I went to college as a time waste because I wanted to get the film industry. My dad was a, he just recently died, but I, I, my dad was a fireman. He was a miner and in the army and my mum was a school teacher. There was no chance, I thought, of getting in the industry, but I just rang around every, every week to, to the union, the ACTT, to see if there are any positions going in any companies. I got an opportunity of an interview at a company called GSE, which is a, a, a company called General Screen Enterprises. Now, they, they were a rival to National Screen Service who did the Bond, a lot of the Bond stuff um, originally. But they were also National Screen, if you see the bottom of the posters, distributed all the posters. But this was a visual effects optical house, and there weren't many around. So I got an interview there, my jaw dropped to the ground. You know, it was, it was just a junior position, um, in the, and this was based in Uxbridge. You know, I, I didn't have a huge amount of qualifications, but they could see I was enthusiastic in the MD. Fred Chalmers said, I want to know that you work locally. I said, yes, uh, we're not going to pay you a huge amount, um, okay, initially. And you're willing to work long hours? And I said, yes. So they offered me the job. So I, I quit college on the Friday and started on the Monday at this company. Oh. And little did I know that the company was owned by Peter Rogers and Gerald Thomas, who were the producers and carry on, uh, and director of the carry on movies. So I was in awe of them because I just love those movies and still to this day. And then my second day at GSE was the Christmas party. And it was just like a scene from Carry On Loving. We went <laughs> the coach, which is in Carry On movies, Jack Grant. We, we went to Pinewood because Uxbridge is just up the road. And we were in the old mansion house having this massive party with the producer and director of the Carry On. And I just thought, God, this is amazing. I have not stopped smiling since you started talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, really, yeah. I do you find it fascinating. No, 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 because no, 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 your enthusiasm no, is just no, so... It's yeah, so right. obvious. Yeah, I, I just, I, it's what a pleasure. What it's a, like a dream coming true. It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Well, no, thank you. Because that actually, um, well, I'll tell you what, in the Bond Stars event, really, as well. So, so yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Got, got the job there, and I, that's when I started my career. And, and through that company, I started my, my first ever job, Vex Work, was. Do you remember the goodies? Tim Book Taylor, Graham Gardner. Yeah, yeah. Lobby. Yeah. Well, they went to ITV. Luckily, I was, I, was, I was too young to do the BBC one. And there was this Christmas special called The Goodies Snow White 2. <laughs> and there was this shot of, I think, um, uh, of a lightsaber fight with Snow White or, or some of the dwarfs. <laughs> and we added, I added the, uh, the laser effects and oh, the right. crudeness. But he, I think Tim Book Taylor, one of them, swallowed it. And swallowed the thing like sword swallowing, and it came down his backside. Need like, <laughs> <laughs> to see that. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's perhaps on YouTube. I, yeah, YouTube. I, 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 I started. Re- I, I'm doing a lot of reminiscing at the moment, which is quite nice. Really, a bit of therapy, yeah. as I said, my dad did recently. But it's just, it was nice to see. But that's on there. But no, so I started on the like the, the 16 mil department when I was doing things like Grange Hill titles. I was doing Wildlife in One, the holiday program with Cliff Mitchell, more Widows, Mr. Majestic, oh, yeah. with Stanley Baxter, Bergerax, all of those, and 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 that was an amazing training game because you were handling 16 mil film, which is very fiddly. So I was an optical assembler and became so I was prepping up the film ready to be shot the effects on this contraption called an optical camera. If you Google optical camera, you'll see what, it is, what it's yeah. like. You see, it's well before CGI. And I, I learned how to handle film. Then I got uh, promoted within the company to being assistant to the uh, technical director, Mike Bond, who was an amazing man, very disciplined. And, and through him, I started working on features. 
um, and uh, titles. And then I started going on to films. Well, I did a little bit of work on um, Educating Rita. Oh, wow. Um, With Lewis so Gilbert. Yeah. Lewis Gilbert, yeah, Lewis Gilbert and Bill Cartley, um, um, which was great, you know, because uh, that got recognition and everything. And I, I don't know if the company got credit for that, because in those days it was just the company that got the credit rather than the individuals. In the UK anyway, Star Wars in America was different, or different contracts. Yeah. But, but then I started working on films like, well, Aliens was a huge one for me. Yeah. Oh, Life Force, uh, which is now now considered a cult film. It was called something else with a C in those years ago because it wasn't really well received, but it was just a mad film because I I did a load of Golden Globus movies, a canon film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Runaway Trains, but also doing all the trailers as well for them, like Hard Rock Zombies, Dumb Dicks. You know, it was just Charles Bronson movies. And it was really, you know, um, but it was it was an amazing and doing a load of Disney stuff as well, like Black Cauldron and whatever. But it was, but it was a company that had contracts for all these studios. You know, not only did we do the trailers, you know, I, I did like UK versions for uh, Star Trek Four: Voyage Home. Uh, we did we had to change the title to the Voyage Home Star Trek Four, and we animated, we created that craft that was giving that noise out of the humpback whale or something, and there's that light source down. So we created this light source and. It was better than the American title, but we did yeah. all of that. What we were also doing at that time, and I was mad on it, we were, I did a small amount of work on Octopussy, which was amazing. Not, nothing to shout out about, but a few opticals. But at that time, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Maurice Binder was at National Screen Service. Uh, well, not at, but he took the work there. But the company was going, having financial trouble, and there was this situation. My managing director wanted, obviously, his work. And I definitely did. So they threw me into the fire as a person that wanted, trying to lure him away. So we started doing a bit more on, not the titles we, uh, at that time, because National Screen was still on the contract. But we were doing work, some trailer work and things on it. And, and I did some Vista Vision work, which is large format film. Film runs down, film that way, but, it, but then that way, with a film going that way, whereas Vista Vision is more like a 35mm in your camera frame, so it's like, I think, four or five times bigger, a normal 35mm frame, but it's on a 35mm frame, but running horizontally. So my camera was adapted to that, and then I did some work for the um, Eiffel Tower and the um, Golden Gate Bridge scene. Again, it was, it was not oh. huge. <laughs> From a complete, you know, layperson's perspective, mm. you, you mentioned mm. the phrase optical work. Could you just oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. tell Sorry, me what, yeah. what that... No, it's just because um, I'd really love to get to grips with it. Right. So I, 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 I use the word organic a lot now as well, but, but optical work, obviously the days before CGI, I was given quite often, and some films I've mentioned, like Hope and Glory Scandal, all of that, in all for it. Uh, so what happens is, is that, you know, I would go and see the editor or the director at Pinewood or Twick. Twickenham was the place for normally for post-production. And they were cutting the movie. And then they'd call you in and they say, right, we want you to do this, that and the other. Can you come up with some ideas or whatever? And they will give you um, some film. They'll give you the elements of the film or they'll give you the film. Now, sometimes you would work on a print just to do a rough. So you would shoot. So what you have is an optical is uh, you have um, what's called an optical camera. And so if you Google it, everybody Google it, you'll, you'll see it and yeah. you'll see what it is. So, but what basically, and I think there's pictures of me on somewhere, somewhere anyway. Basically, it looks like this massive lathe. It's, it's like there's this huge, greatly flat bed with loads of knobs and buttons and dials and things in, in front. And it's sectioned off into three different parts. Then you've got a camera mounted on that the camera with the lens and then you've got a projector there where the camera photographs from the other element of film there 
Then you've got another one there, another projector, which focuses onto that plane, which then photographs onto that with various other reels where you sandwich pieces of film together. So, so what you li literally do is if you do something like blue screen, because I still do the job now, you know, I still, I'm a supervisor producer now, but obviously in a different, you know, different technology, but you got have those same disciplines as you had those in those days. You know, you, you, you know, you get your blue screen element and you, cr you create your, what's called mats. So your whole back mat, yeah. so if you put a mountain in the background or whatever. And you create it all on this camera. So you are literally, are you? Yeah. yeah, you are. You, and you're creating a new piece of film. Now, you, even because I'll tell you a bit later, I ended up working for Derek as well at, at Megan's Magic. Uh, oh, I left my word. And um, <laughs> his first introduction to me, he said, I, can I swear on this? Of course you can, yes. Yeah. All right. My, <laughs> my first introduction, of course, I knew Thunderbirds and all of that. And Derek came in and he said, oh, hello. He said, do you know what? He said, I ain't got a fucking clue what you do in here. And he walked out <laughs> the room. Now, well, that, that is basically what this is. You were in your in in your own room. And I, I used to love 70s. I used to go clubbing. I'd say, I'd say, you know, in, in the 90s and the, and the late 80s. And I, I had my 70s music on and you create your own environment. So you shut the door. You've got, you created your elements and you shoot your elements and stage, you know, with your Mitchell camera, you want snow if you want this if you want that whatever which is sometimes crumbs cake crumbs or whatever or things in water tanks you, you you have all your elements and you lock the door and you come out in about five hours time having created a piece of film which might have about 30 or 40 exposures over it now that was really scary um i was more stressed then than i am now it's a different stresses because Nobody knew what you, how you used to do things in those days because you never had, you know, you had sin effects or whatever, but you, nobody really knew, you know, what it was. But all they knew is that the film was going to be coming out in a couple of weeks' time and you had to shoot it right. And you're yeah. in the lap of the gods because you shoot the element, you know, and, and, and the machinery warms up in a cold environment. So it starts off in the morning that your room is reasonably cold when you get into the studio and then hit metal warms up so you know you 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 always have to take that into account when you're moving looking at a small viewer you know like the, i'll tell you about the gun barrel later but you know moving tim a fraction of an inch fraction of a thousandth of an inch and whether or not you had the shutter open for that pass or that pass or that pass and then you didn't have any runners you took it into the laboratory you drove it up on the m25 to denham rank lab at, at like 12 at midnight and then you collected it at six in the morning you know so it was and, and see if it worked yeah yeah, basically I mean, it, what you've described to me is is like classic mu movie magic to me. Yeah, that is, all just sounds well, like no, the it, pure craft that got me falling mm -hmm. in love with movies in the very first place. Mm -hmm. And I assume there's a much less margin for error compared to special effects nowadays where you can oh, re-edit, really? you make mistakes, oh, you can yeah. undo. Hmm. There, yeah. you, you, it's going on to film. You, everything is committed you to film. You can't make a mistake. You know, I, I'll tell you by three mistakes in my whole career I ever did when I was doing that job. But a lot of people used to say, oh, you have more time to do it in them. Well, no, not really, because you had to go down an avenue based on what you thought was correct. Yeah. So, and, and so you had to do all these tests up to the point when you were shooting the final optical. So basically the optical is that final, you know, your final shot. Well, I, you know, and, and there are traits that, that I put in to my stuff that I can see, um, little, little things that uh, were my trademark. I look at the stuff and I do like living in the past, you know, and I, and unlike totally. a lot of people that it, like, if they do introduce a film or whatever, I'll stay and watch the whole film. I, just, I don't walk out, you know, I, I'll sit with every, and I stand at the end and I love it. And I absolutely love it. 
and I, and, I, and and I think CGI is really good. It's it's a tool that should be treated very carefully when it's storytelling, especially when you're using camera angles or you, you're tracking or doing a 360 camera move, degree camera move, which doesn't cut into the rest of the film. You know, you have to realise it's quite a dangerous thing. And now you've got the metaverse coming up and you've got all, all, oh, all yeah. that stuff. But, but no, I, the whole thing about shooting film, you know, there was a movie I did called Runaway Train that was yeah. directed by Andre Konchalovsky, which was the best canon film, I think. Yeah. I think it won an Oscar for something. Yeah. Well, 90% of the snow falling was done by, comped by me, put together by me. Most of that snow wasn't there. And and, and it was literally, uh, you, you go to the cutting rooms and a lovely editor, and in fact, he was one of the editors of Vianney Twice, Henry Richardson, he's not with us now, oh, but right. he, he, he's really nice bloke. Yeah. And he edited Valley of Guanji as well. Oh, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> my absolute favourites. Oh, oh I've got, I've got some pictures, pictures of me and Henry. It was lovely. No. I, yeah, I'll tell you something else. I, I'm reunited with a mate of mine who edited Golden Voyage of Sinbad. And, um, oh. <laughs> oh, wow. I, had, wow. I thought he died, but he's, 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 living, he's living up the road from me. It's amazing. It's <laughs> so, <yeah, that's laughs> incredible. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm very lucky. So the so. snow. The snow, you see, consisted of various techniques. It was like cake crumbs falling against black. If there was, you know, if, if the train was whipping past or the snow was going past, you know, fast shot, it was little spots, white spots and artwork. And you put that on black, or oh, sorry, on black card. And you put it on a camera, a rostrum camera bed, and you pulled it quickly. And that gave you the streets, you know. So you, you, you created wow. everything, but you were given like all these no, you're given like this is the film this is what it's cut so far and you're given a print and then you eventually get the original negative and you have to make copies of that and you know and, and whatever and work from that but that's how you did it you know and that's like so runaway train 90 percent of that the snow was 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 us at gse and and then you know there were inserts in there in in the prison scene i don't know if you've seen the film but there, there's, a, there's a prison scene with john voigt and eric roberts where a knife goes some through Somebody's arm. Well, we shot that in our stage because they oh, hadn't yeah. got anything. That was my mate Sidey that was did the knife turn, you know, and then mm. there's in the background wearing the prison suit. But it was just, <laughs> yeah. it was just, it was, it was amazing. And um, working with Peter Yates, you know, who 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 directed Bullet, yeah, and yeah. he used to check up on me because he directed Kral. And I had like four movies doing that at the time. And on a Saturday, I could hear the back door going in Uxbridge, in the place where I was working. And the door, and I could hear, Alan, Alan, and, and so I quickly turned, had dope sheets for, I can't remember what the other films are, but I had them all here, and I quickly swapped one for the other. So I, I was doing a different show, but I put Krell up there, and, you know, titles of Krell I was doing. You know, and it was, it was just amazing. And, and, and throughout the whole process, I was very aware of who I was working with because I'm a fan, you know, and um, I, I ended up, well, I'll tell you later about Cameron, whatever, but Polanski, I was Polanski. Yeah, well. Nicholas Rowe. But, you oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Goodness yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Bernardo Bertolucci, The Last Emperor. Which yeah, Last Emperor, movie. yeah. <laughs> With Marie Funda. You know, it's, 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 it's incredible. It, you know, and, um, and, and it's amazing because all the, after, I'll, I'll go back to my career, but it's amazing after all these years. You know, my other half is in the industry as well, and that's why we want we a BAFTA together. But it's just me having this all here. Yeah. And I never told the stories because I didn't have a platform, to be honest. You know, it was, oh. um, it was through Gareth doing that first Bond talk. 
but, it, but, but, you know, I was working late at night till 12, and I was doing the Carry On compilations as well. In the 80s, they had Carry On Laughing and What a Carry On on TV. Yep. And I was doing all these crude effectsy things, going from one scene to another, and the titles and things were doing all that. It was just incredible. You know, there, were, there was one, I'll tell you one mistake. Yeah. Um, there was <laughs> one mistake. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking there are a couple. Of your three, did you say you've, there are three I mistakes? Was doing, <laughs> I was doing Spaceballs, the UK Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Brooks, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I, and I had to do, including the English title, the role of which was like Star Wars. Yeah, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I had about six different versions to do, and it was really rushing it, because we, we, we didn't have a lot of time. And right at the end, it says, if you read this, if you, if you read this, yeah. if you can read this, you don't need glasses. <laughs> yeah. Now, so that fades up. You see, that fades up at a certain yeah. point. But I had this as one bit of artwork. So, but it fades up. So I had to introduce it. So I literally put masking tape on my gate on that projector. Oh. But the problem was, and I was so shattered, it was late at night. It started peeking through because when you put tape on the gate, it's it, it, it's not on the right focus plane, and so it popped through. My boss went absolutely mad, so I had a blazing row. But I I I, I mucked up, so that you know I didn't that didn't get delivered on time. But they pulled pulled it through because uh, it was being blown up to seventy mil. I think it was for showing at the I think it was showing at the Odin Leicester Square. The one time I did really muck up was for a, a film called John and Yoko, a love story. <laughs> And I didn't finish the end titles in time, and it was for the cast and crew screening. So that was a real embarrassment because everybody <laughs> wanted to their name. But, <clears throat> but I hadn't done badly. You know, so. No, no, <laughs> no. But so Bond, so Bond. So then came, so I did some work on, 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 you know, on um, A View to a Kill. And Pauline Hume worked with me as well at uh, GFC at that time. And of course, Alan was um, lighting uh, A View to yeah. a Kill. She offered to take me down one lunchtime to uh, see Alan and everybody. And it was the mine sequence. Oh, yeah. And it was the flooding of it. And I was just gobsmacked, absolutely gobsmacked with all of it. And, and, and then I started, what I started doing then um, at, at that time, was I just started going into the office at, at E.ON because I got to know Iris Rose. Iris was lovely. She was E.ON, you know, she was like the mum, the grandmother. She... And and she used to like ring my mum when I'd left GSE to see how I was and all of that. It was oh. just lovely. But but so that, that and that's how I started getting to know them there. But then the biggie came when we started getting Morris in permanently and we were doing Last Emperor and and I'll tell you about that some Deceivers, which was Pierce Brosnan. Uh, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> uh, and, oh dear trailers started two, three and four as well. So yeah. so all of that on Living Daylights. I started to get to know Maurice and I didn't do the teaser trailer, which was the one, which was the Land Rover sequence. I started doing the others and I also did a, my first time I did a gun barrel. Oh, I can't and, believe it. <laughs> such a good gun barrel as well. <laughs> no, 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 wait for this. No, so, so. <laughs> um, uh, and, and I did um, I did a gun barrel that's never been seen. And this is not the one that you see on YouTube with him jumping. Yeah, and which, which again, I did. I didn't do the final one actually because the National Screen were doing it, and that quality is not as good anyway. But I did the one thing jumping around, and I still want that somewhere. I also did is that they wanted a new introduction to the new Bond, so we did this new gun barrel, which was very modern, very silver, a silvery metallic silver, mm. not not like the teaser trailer. And I've got a few clips of it somewhere. I haven't got, you know, uh, and and it was 
pretty stunning. I have to admit at the time I was more of a traditionalist. It was probably best that they didn't go with it. But when you look at it now and you look at the CGI ones, I think it's a halfway point between the traditional and the right. CGI. Mm. And it's bloody good. So I've, I've got, you know, if we meet for beer, I'll show you it. You know, some, oh, really, I've got it somewhere. But it's just, it's just a couple of test frames. But it was just amazing. But then I started to get to the Maurice. And then I start, and then I did the trailers, which is great. Putting the trailers together. And, and they, uh, I utilised the gun barrel. I did the jump one on uh, one version, which I think maybe you can see on YouTube or something. But then I went back to the traditional one and I made it a bit bluer and things for the trailers. And then on that film, we did um, a, a lot of work on that, the opticals. Necross when Bond was drugged and yeah. it was uh, mm. Bond's point of view. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, like we yeah. go into the cutting room and said, we want this druggy feel. You know, and it was like that. You want, <laughs> you want this druggy thing. What can you come up with? So you go, you go, you know, you get your print element and you start doing your test. And it was like multiple exposures. So it's, good that. it's, good. Yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's a bit too formulaic because it's too... It's so you know, famous though now. Yeah, yeah. It is. A bit of, but it was... Mm, mm, mm. Liar. You pretended to love me. I telephoned Whitaker. Georgi was there. He told me the truth. You're a KGB agent using me to find him and kill him. No, that's not... That's not true. I... That's... Chloral hydrate. Keep your hands up! Listen to me! You got that when the rifle was shot out of your hand. How do you know? Because I was the... I was the man sent to kill you. Why didn't you? You know, there was that, but there's also some tricksy stuff on the Aston Martin laser thing. But you've also got you've we use the same artwork sites as we did for the tanker sequence. We just yes, I've, I've noticed that. Yes, yeah. yeah. yes, yeah. exactly yeah. the same. <laughs> but, on, um, but there's even some tricksy stuff in there, which you know, I think Peter Hunt said a lot of what he used to do and in, in, the, in, in the when he was alive in the documentary. But there was one bit where um, John Reese davis John Reese davis Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, Pushkin. He was, yeah, Pushkin. He was in with his lady friend and Bond's in there with a the gun, you know, and, and, and yeah. the, the henchman bloke is outside and he opens yeah. the door. Now, if you look on that, it, it, there, was, there, was, there was just no impact there. And he said, can you do it? And I literally had a day to think about it. Could you think of what you could do just to m make it known that he's seen something? And I literally just froze a frame for about two frames. And you can see it. Now, if you look at it, and that henchman opens a door, there's a freeze like that. And, yeah. Uh, and it's All just right. that little bit separate. All right. There are loads of little the untrained like eye. Where's Koskov? He disappeared two weeks ago. I was about to have him arrested. Why? For misusing state funds. Involving Whitaker? That is a security matter and cannot be discussed. Damn 
Yeah, and, and, and it's all those little things that you did. But then you had the, you know, the laser stuff from the Aston Martin, which was amazing. Especially, you see, I didn't have the music track oh, at that point. Yeah. So, of course, when, you, <laughs> when I heard the John Barry at the track oh. and everything, when they laid it out, I thought, God, forbid it, it was all going to me. It was just amazing. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Hard work, you know. It, it, it was. What the it was, it was just amazing. So it was me doing my bits and pieces, and yeah, my 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 team and my friends at GSC have only just started getting to. Some of them have sadly passed away, but they we had a reunion not so long ago oh. across the road from the building where we where we used to work. That's six of us, and it was just magical. And in fact, then I discovered that my mate that I did all my trailers with Ken Sidey actually worked with Maurice on Doctor No. You know, and oh. so it just. <laughs> And I said, you're joking, aren't you? So it was, ah. Yeah, but, yeah. And, you know, me and Ken worked together on so many, so much stuff. It was an amazing place. So I'll tell you about that. So I was there till, so then after, um, I think Last Emperor was first. Yes. So we did, you know, we, 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 you know, we got our little pack shot stage in Uxbridge on Oxford Road. We were finding all these objects and hieroglyphics and things, and we were putting them together. And I, you know, and it was my first experience of shooting with Maurice. And it was a very interesting. I, I love that man. Absolutely. So oh. And um, in Nightmare, he drove you insane, but it was just, you know, it, it, he, 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 he drained you at the end of the day, but he was just amazing. He, if he was, if I was ill, he, you know, bad cold. He used to go up the road and buy me a Lemsip, Uxbridge High Street. But it was probably to get me to work hard. <laughs> 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 but, he, but he was, he he just, he, I just remember his work. When he used to come in, he said, look, what are we going to do? What about if we do that? What about? And you say, right, well, I'm just doing something else at the moment. And you say, no, we need to shoot it now. And I said, I can't. And he said, God damn it, schmuck. I thought you wanted to work with me. And then you got what he wanted and he smiled. And it was, you know, but we did, <laughs> but we did all of that. And then on the also, Deceivers, which was the, the Brosnan one, which was a low budget movie. It's uh, I like quite like the movie. It's the Fuggy Cult, about the Fuggy <laughs> Cult, Brosnan and all that. And and and, and, and Marie said, "Well, what are we going to do with this one? What Indian Fuggy Cult?" So we went to Southall Market. <laughs> um, we got a little Carly and things like that, and we started putting together this title sequence about the Indian cults and the religion and things like that. Um, and we shot that on Super 16 mil because there wasn't the funds to shoot it all on 35 because Maurice had a reputation of shooting thousands of feet. Yeah, but because they were all visuals and playing with lights with spotlights reflecting into water and things like that and 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 whatever and whatever whatever but that doesn't affect the quality doesn't it doesn't matter as much when you're blowing up to 35 mil and it worked really well and and last emperor was pure 35 mil you know and and it was just amazing but then i'll tell you about never i've missed never say never i'll go back on yeah that. yeah i need to hear about um, but, but, um, <laughs> so with maurice coming in then every day because you hear these other stories about you know, from from and I adore him, John Glenn. He's a, I've done more movies with him than any other person. I love that. Oh yeah, him. we we've interviewed I've him. Got to, I've got to see him. I, I really haven't he's seen him. He's the biggest gent, isn't he? But apart from the Bonds, I also did Christopher Columbus with him. And, oh um, wow! Oh, space precinct, space precinct as well. Yeah. But um, no, he was he's a delightful man. Absolutely delightful. So I have to say that now he is one of my. Favorite directors, I was too. Mine as well. Yeah. Absolute gentleman. Yeah. So, License to Kill was coming in. Maurice, and, and this is a very much a reflection, exactly mirror image of what Derek was experiencing on Precursor to Goldeneye. It was um, coming in, telling 
me. He said, look, he said, they're not ask, they're not going to give me these the bombs. They're not going to give it to me. Because normally what happens is that he then goes on location and he gets ideas, whether it's what he's watching on, uh, you know, uh, out on location, uh, you know, it gives him an idea of what theme to use and whatever uh, for the um, titles. But they weren't asking him, and he used to come in a lot because he hadn't, he hadn't, hadn't, he hadn't got any work. And he said, "I don't think I'm doing it." Because I kept on asking him, I was like a like a dog. You can do it, you can do it. And I remember one Monday morning, he came in and beaming smile, and I'm my 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 camera room was the first room, the back and the back, and he, he said, "Alan, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it." And I, I said, oh my God, you know, I'm just jumping up and down. And he said, "But we need a theme, we need a theme." And I thought he meant bone theme. He said, "No, a theme, theme." And I said, well, I've seen nothing of the movie. So we got little bits of the film and it was the pre-title sequence, but we only seen like the wedding bit and whatever. And we knew there was a gambling scene and, and we utilised the, the fact that there were cameras and, and we didn't have much time because he was fresh into the Bond movie. You know, he was asked to produce a storyboard, which he never liked doing because he didn't like being tied down. Yeah. Uh, and yes, everything you hear about being, you know, uh, not showing much until the last minute was was true. But it's because people couldn't change it. And but us technicians were having a right. We were stressed out completely because we were we were working all hours doing things, doing little bits and pieces, transitions on the titles to see if they worked, and you know, going from one scene to another. You know, my my argument to this day is that what I like about uh, his titles is that you could look at the titles and you could look at the background within the same shot. So the titles kind of faded up on the left-hand side and there was a space yes. where the title should be. And then the action was down there. And by the time there was there, there was a transition to another scene. And then you saw the titles over there. And then it, fl- it was all fluid. You know, the titles mm. weren't necessarily plastered over somebody's face, plastered over there, plastered over there, or jumped on. They had used, we used like this ripple glass from you know, like the, the um, bathroom glass, you know, to stop people peeking in when you're doing whatever you're doing. You know, we had that glass, which created the ripple for the titles. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, all of that. So, um, you know, all of that stuff. So there was a reason why they were shot or why he shot them like that. There were visuals, but there were visuals that were complementing the titles, not visuals because the visuals were great. You know, it was, it was, they were complementary to it. And yes, he he liked having his title on the best, um, the best uh, sequence shot, best background. So, you know, so he said that, so we, we we proceeded to work out what to do. And during that period, they asked to um, shoot the teaser trailer with Timothy, which was the one where he's holding the gun and he's turning around like that. How many times? Can one man leave you breathless? When you get on his bad side, your number is up.
Timothy Dalton is James Bond 007. License to kill. What was the title at that stage? Was it License to Kill or was it when it was License Revoked? Yeah, it was, it was still License to Kill. It wasn't, was sorry, it? it wasn't License, it was License to Kill. They changed the title to License to Kill just prior to us doing the trainer. Yeah. So we had Tim, which was just amazing for me. Oh, um, gosh. And so um, <laughs> I, I may have said the story, but there's this watch that changes, you know, LED, what do you do, James? Double on it, and he's got it on his thing like that. But he was wired up, there were wires everywhere. But if you look now, you can see it on the Blu ray. I didn't clean the glass, you can see my fingerprint. You know, <laughs> But he was great. Tim was brilliant, and he sat on my chair, and I swiveled him around. Oh, is that what so, he was, so he was. It's he, a meme. He, he was on my, yeah. my my camera chip, and I'm swiveling around. So kind of, <laughs> yeah. But we also shot quite a lot of other stuff as well, and I've still got it. I, I think I put it on the Instagram. Actually, he burnt his license to kill, so I've got his license to kill. So we had quite a few of these cards with pictures of them, and he used the lighter that he was given. By Felix. Oh my word. Um, and he lit the lighter and he burnt it, which was part, and we shot it at high speed. So all of this was going to be in the trailer. Now, I think it is great if it was going to be in it, but it probably because it was a teaser trailer, nobody would understand what the hell it was going on about. So it was calm. But Maurice heard that we were filming him. So he came down, he wanted us to do some work. And, you know, with, uh, but the, 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 shall we say that Roger, uh, gets on got on better with uh, uh, with Tim than uh, sorry Roger got on better with Maurice than um, Tim um, yeah. because Tim is very much a, a, a Shakespearean whereas yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, wants to know that's what my position is that's where this is that, that is that. and there's nothing wrong with that I think Tim was great I liked him a lot and I, I and, and what was really so that, that didn't work out too well but anyway that's besides the point. So, you know, we ended up, I ended up having well, a group of us having lunch at the Crown Treaty Park next door. Tim <laughs> wanted, wanted um, my oh, manager booked him a table at Giovanni's across the road to the posh restaurant. Tim said, no, I want to go for a pub lunch with the lads. Oh, Rob, uh, you must be no, loving this so much. If I, don't, if I didn't already <laughs> love Tim to absolute pieces, that yeah, is yeah. just... He's great. He's great. He's you know, he, I think he, he's got a bit more Hollywoodized because my other half worked with him on Penny Dreadful, my other half super. Oh, Penny yes. Dreadful. Yeah, but, that's great. But things change a lot when you do streaming shows. But, but no, I, 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 I thought he was wonderful. But oh. He was very professional. And, you know, I've got, I think, I, I, again, I think there are photographs on the net of me and Tim. You know, that, 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 uh, and we also shot, like, the, the, they did the stills for the poster campaign and all of that. Yeah. But he came, we went to the pub next door and he was just charming. I loved, you know, and I was just, well, can you imagine, you know, if it was what like you guys, yeah, it was just amazing. So that you was were so young, really. you? Were, you were like in your early 20s then as well. I mean, you must have been. Yeah, I was, well, I was born in 64. I can't work it out. So 18, 18 <laughs> Well, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, must be, yeah. yeah. So that was amazing. So then we started to shoot the titles, and we shot the titles in two parts for Maurice, and it did go on a lot. So the, 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 the first girl, which is the girl holding the camera at the beginning, she couldn't hold the camera very well, so we had to cut her hands out and put another girl's hands on it. Uh, and remember, this is optical days. And Ooh, yeah, yeah. All of it. But Maurice, and you can see a little bit of fogging on the foreground because Maurice cho chose take one, and that's when we laced up the camera and you get a bit of fogging. You can see a little bit of that in there. When she then looks at the 007 coming up, which is obviously something that you add later on the optical camera, uh, the most difficult thing is eyes, is to focus on something. Because if you try and look at and follow something and there isn't anything definite to focus on, you it looks like you're you're spaced out on you know on whatever whatever drug you were on at the time. So we had we put a stick up 
a little ball on it. So he said to um, the girl, I can't remember her name, that one. Follow that. She's following the double seven, but of course it's not there, but it was just a, mm. a ping pong ball on, on a stick. And it wasn't her hand. But then when the gun fires, which you, you probably may have read, it's my hand firing the gun. Yeah, for the <laughs> yeah. title of the film. That's another thing, it was amazing. About 25 quid, which is fair enough. That was right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that naive church, was, it was, I, I was waving my rights to get repeat fees. Yeah. Mary Snooze said, because I thought, oh, you, you've got pretty small hands, haven't you? I said, yeah. And he said, well, and, and it was a little, I suppose, it was a bit dangerous trying the gun or whatever. It was filled with oil. Um, so I had to wear this long ladies, like black glove, you know, like this thing from Tony Modern Millie or whatever, going up to here. Um, and I positioned my hand on a tripod. I've got the ele- all the elements I have here. And the armourer filled the barrel up and I tried the, oh, the PPK and, and the smoke came out and then we superimposed timber on that oh. later. And we used that same element again later when the girls split up into different colours. Yeah. So we did the, the, the gaming chip sequence and the the girl holding the camera for the first setups, <clears throat> and then there was a few weeks gap, and then GSE was moving into a bigger building behind the Oxford Road building. So we utilised these warehouse before we partitioned. They partitioned up the the the, the um, building, and we shot there at Highbridge Estate, which is right next to the Grand Union Canal. And we um, filmed Diane Lee Sue, who was the, yeah. the the main girl, which Maurice didn't want originally she's not a dancer but there was a political thing going because she was going out with a playboy photographer and the playboy always do the film times and there's oh. nothing wrong with that so so we introduced shooting a lot of stuff on high speed but she was a great sport she was really good yeah and she's in the Cubby film as a, her own character which is very unusual to have someone mm. it's quite mm. rare isn't it i know there's a it, there's yeah. a girl in the girl in bottoms up in man with the golden <laughs> gun is in the titles as well isn't she so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she, um, Marisa certainly got some favourites as well. Favourite lady. <laughs> yeah. There was one woman, I can't remember her name, she was in like five of them. She got a very pointy nose, she was in Living It Die Man with Golden Gun, Spider of Me, Moonraker. I can't remember her name, but anyway. Mm. But so, so again, a highlight for me was um, me shooting the gun, and that was the day that Cubby came down and Barbara. Oh. Do, and and I've got some video on you. Uh, if we meet for a beer, I'll show you. But, but I don't show that because I, I, that's a bit personal to me. Yeah, yeah. But I've got a re-edited version. But um, Cubby comes down with Barbara, obviously to check up on Maurice. And it was, <laughs> and, and then he's got me in front of the camera, lining up the shot with me. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Throwing the gun. Yeah. You know, it's great. And then there's me. You, know, you see bits and pieces of me. We, we use the tricks with the watering can with the hose, the glass, and put the girl behind the glass, which, you know, and then high speed. And she wasn't a dancer and did all of that. And, you know, all these techniques. And that carried on for on and off for a few weeks. And it was just amazing. So all of that was going on. So then Maurice got into editing it, which took forever because he had thousands of feet of film. So all of that was going on. And then I was doing bits as long as well as a couple of other optical cameramen like Mick Lenny, who's a good mate of mine, whose uncle edited Casino Royale, the original one. All these people that I've worked with yeah. over the years, Mick, you know, Mick's a lovely, he's a great mate. And Ken Sidey editing with Maurice and, and me putting lots of the rough opticals together at that time. We didn't have Gladys Knight singing it. We had yeah, um, yeah. Pat the Bell. Yeah. yeah, singing License to Kill, not singing her song. She was singing Oh, right, her. okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, I've, I've got that on the video as well. Mm. Oh, so you've yeah. heard that version, but 
No one else has. Really. Oh, we work with it. Yeah, we work with yeah, that version. Wow. I've got it somewhere. I put it somewhere. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's neat to see all this here, all this Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, it's, it's amazing, actually, because it's, 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 it's nice. You know, we, we literally had a music centre and we had the girls dancing to her doing, um, you know, I'm going to license to kill, you know, her version of it. And oh. it was all right. It was fine. Um, I was a little bit disappointed. It's a bit slow. And then, so post production was happening, editorial, and, you know, we creating these little sequences and you do a rough cut and you do a rough cut because it's cheaper and black and white film in those days, just, you know, creating a positive to a positive image, but doing loads of mixes and transitions. One, again, it was a Monday. <laughs> he came in, um, he said, hey, let's go upstairs, go upstairs. And he said, I've got, a, you know, I've got something here. And it was, um, it was a 35 mil print, about 270 foot like that. And it was a mag track. It was a magnetic soundtrack. It was brown, like a cassette tape, but 35 mil material. And the editor then sunk it up on the scene back with our rough cut of the titles and I'll never forget it and it was it just sounded like Goldfinger you know it was that and it was just orgasmic the head it is yeah and 90% of the music cues worked with 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 Gladys and I I had no idea Gladys was singing it he came from Pinewood and just it was amazing and then we had that to work for from, uh, and it was incredible. But so that was, so then we had to do all the final stuff. But meanwhile, because I was an absolutely massive Bond fan and Maurice was getting on a bit and he had a lot to do, uh, you know, the gun barrel had to be done. So he gave it to me to do completely. <laughs> so, um, he trusted me. I loved it. He didn't, you know, he... Perhaps our favourite gun barrel. It's one of the best. Well, yeah. I tell you, Michael came in music as well. It's just yeah. Well, that was an interesting as well because I didn't like it at the time. But now, so I was I was given that to do, and what I because I didn't do the Living Daylights main one. I did the other ones. Yeah, mm. I didn't do, and I thought the quality of them were not as good. You know, it's a bit of a dupe, bit of a dupe, duplication, duplication. I was given right there. You go. Uh, there's a license to come. So I went back to the most <laughs> original components as I could find because National Screen had gone. So I was trying to find all the, all the components, and I and I found a can with some of the original ones. So I re-squeezed because the um, license to as with all the ones after the Man with the Golden Gun. Spy Love Me onwards was scope. I went back to find the, the non-squeezed versions and I squeezed it anamorphically to, so I got a better copy. And I also, with Tim, his component was, he was walking too fast to, to be within the circle of the barrel. So that's when I had to look through every every frame and move him back, move him back. So he's moonwalking a bit, you know, so, so he's walking... Mm. To do better. I'm also pulling him back, pulling him back. Because what I wanted more than anything on this is I wanted it to be the best quality gun barrel. But I also wanted you to see him, his face. I mm. wanted to see him fire and see the smoke. And I also played very, very, paid particular attention to the exposure of the red because I loved it in the cinema when the red came down. The cinema was like, it was just drama. So it was literally given that to do in a very short time frame. And, and I did one version because I hadn't got Michael Kamen's score at that time. And so I did the usual, because I had a view to a kill music to work with, but they gave me, and that's very different. It didn't work because Michael Kamen's score, when that came in, was more urgent, more aggressive. Mm, yeah. So I had to shorten it somehow. I didn't have time to remake the components, so I had to reverse action all that. But I put my own little traits in there, and what I did, you know, I like that Thunderball gun barrel, you know, the, I also like the Honor Majesties where the red comes down and, you know, and then you, you wipe Bond off. But 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What I did do on this is I didn't make that circle mat go to white. I went from the red to the picture because Thunderball mm. did that. You know, I analysed it. I knew them all anyway, inside out, before I did the dumbbell. And I just paid particular attention. I did three-frame mixes rather than jump in or when Tim was coming in and things. You know, I, I ran the came and scored backwards and forwards and made sure that the music was right in the in the centre. That plane is in the centre and all of that. Maurice, when he saw it, went ballistic because he said, I'm, I'm ruining his design. But it went well, and he loved it in the end. Um, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't ruining his design, it, you know, and it was also John Glenn giving me permission to do that because he wanted it that way because he mm. because of the Michael Kamen school. Yeah. But yeah. I got it in the neck, I really did. Um, but he, but it looks stunning. What I'm so proud about now is when you see the remastered versions, which I don't necessarily agree with the grade and what they've done, but when I see the remastered versions, I do I'm very proud that I think that my quality of my one is I, I hate I have to say I think it's the best of the traditional ones. Yeah. Well, and it was the last one, wasn't it? The last one it before they changed the CGI. We actually saw it at the Prince Charles. Um I did. when it was shown, you know, they've been showing them each each week. Yeah. Yeah. We, we yeah. were there with uh, Paul Weston, who is Talking all about. Oh, I was going to go to that. I yeah, yeah. Go to we we did that. We hosted it. Yeah. Well, Sorry, did you? Because no. I, yeah. I was with Paul having a lunch with the, the, a, a Gareth oh. thing a few weeks ago. Oh, right. It's a Bond it's, family. Everyone it's, it's, gets it's it. I know. I know. Just think about little me, you know. Yeah, you're a fan. I never went to these locations in those days, you know. You know, my, my intro when Gareth did the, you know, the Bondstar thing and I was like top billing, which I had no idea after all the other bits and pieces. And, you know, you hear that the stories, which is great, you know, from Britain on a Blackman or whatever, when I was on set or when I was in Barbados or whatever. You know, and, and I don't have any of those stories, you know, because I didn't go anywhere like that. I was working yeah. in. This, and so I said to him, I said, look, yeah, and, and I always have a bit of a giggle. You know, because I'm nervous at that point, and so look, I like. Well, um, I, I just like to say is that you know, I I worked with Maurice Binder, and you know, we created probably the most glamorous part of the Bond film, but it was the most least glamorous environment yeah. that we created these. 
Um, and then he got a few little titters and laughs and whatever. And then I just went in, you know, and yeah. I was talking in layman's terms and I was talking as a fan how we did it. And I got such a great response back. You know, these stories, I don't think people tell these these stories yeah. because, you know, I, I, you know, I, I I never got credits in those days, you know, and I don't, mm. I don't live for credits anyway. Hi, this is Robert Dobby, and you're watching Really 007 Podcast. Purely business, nothing personal. You did the 30th anniversary. You talked at the, the Prince Charles yeah, head of that, didn't you? Yeah, so what happened with that? Again, being a Bond fan, my other half said, oh, don't, don't do it. I said, I'm going to go in there and see if they want me to do a bit of a talk. So I went in there, and I said, look, you've got 30th anniversary there. I said, but, you know, just let you know if you want me, you know, I did work with Maurice Bender, the titles and all that. And I've got little, I can re-edit some footage and do a little intro. And, and they said, yes. So um, so what was one performance ended up with two and it was two near sellouts. So the first one, was oh, right. one you know, which I was a gobsmacked. But oh, I, was, I was a little bit nervous. But so what I've been mm. very anal on this is I'm a bit of, I want everything right for presentation. So I went to the Prince Charles and they were marvelous. And I said, um, yeah, I'll try, yeah. so I did a bit of a preview in the morning and it, it looked pretty good. It looked very good, actually. And, and I said, look, can you do me a favour? I said, I've never actually liked the volume of Licence to Kill. I said, it's always when the... The gun barrel starts, it should be just a bit louder. Oh. Um, because, it's, it's, you know, after it, it just appears all the time that it's very, you know, it, it just should be louder. The, the, the gun barrel music should be wham! Like that. Mm. And they oblige, and and, um, and and it just knocked my socks off. Oh. I did oh, wow. that presentation. I did that presentation, and again, like this whole thing, and saying, like, it was like 30 years ago today, I was in my Ford Fiesta coming down the M4, in my um, jacket and tie and all of that, DJ. Um, and then Cub Wendt went shroom, straight past me. We oh, were really? going to the Bond premiere, you know, to see your work. Charles and Die in the Royal Fanfare of this, that and the other. Yeah. And bear in mind that I go back to like the 70s when I was, first saw the gun barrel and everything. To, yeah. to, to do that was just um, amazing. Oh, you know, it, it was great. Yeah. It was good. But, um, you know, Never So Never was the rogue one. You know, after Octopussy, then um, my boss, Fred Chana, came in and said, look, Alan, he said, how would you like to work on Sean Connery, James Bond? <laughs> I said, yeah. 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 So he said, I'd like to introduce you to this. Um, and he was, the fun, he was the production manager. And this guy, I met the production manager. His name's Jack, Jack Smith, I think. And I've never known him since this. And he, he started talking about, uh, we're doing this film with Sean Connery. It's his version of Thunderball, this, that, which I knew, of course, already. Knew all about it. I was playing naive at the time. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I'd love to do it. <laughs> I was dangling the carrot. And, and as a result, we got work and never say never again. So we um, did a lot of the monitoring certs with, you know, and I, I was looking at these images of Blofeld, Max von Sydow, straight. I thought, this is amazing. I was disappointed <laughs> in the movie in the end. But, <laughs> well, no. But, you know, it's better now. It's got charm to it, just like Life Force and, you know, those yeah. sort of films. But it was, um, but I, I ended up doing a load of work on that movie um, and, and, and some iconic images, you know, with, with, Max von Sydow and Pat, but you know there, there there were budget constraints. The submarine shots that you saw were taken from Ice Station Zebra. Yes, yeah, you, um, you know, and and, and um, which I had to re-dupe and, and, and re-squeeze and everything on that. We did a version of the titles as well. I think Greenberg did them in the end, but they were a virtual copy of them. Um, we didn't do Apogee did those plane shots and things, but right. but we got credit on it. GSE got credit on it as additional opticals and things. 
and there's no type and sequence is there you know it's it's different you've got that 007 sort of thing yeah we did that we did that as a test thing um right and then nothing but did the 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 finals i think they were under contract in america but i i I have to admit yeah and um and there were um a few shots i had to do with with sean's face as well because sean um they put Probably more they did, you know. It's, it's not, nothing against, but he, he, they, the makeup girls probably, not probably, they made him a bit too makeupy. They put too much makeup on and they put too much highlight, sort of highlight <laughs> on the face. So I had to soften some of the shots. Right. Um, and the, the, the one notable one was um, where he's meeting. Oh, and I've, I've worked with this lady six times. I love her to death. Uh, Kim Bassinger. Oh yeah. Um, I, I did a person for Paul, Paul Haggerson a few years ago, and she was just oh, amazing. Yeah, lady. yeah. So shy, so shy, lovely. Where Sean says, "My name is Bond, James Bond," and that's one of the shots that I had to work right. on. You can see there's a bit of a quality loss, but it was without the work, it, he would have looked like a, a, a bit of a queen, you know, with the makeup all over his face and lips, rouge and all of that. And it was just um, just too much. You've mentioned a few times about, you know, your boss. And then you, you've mentioned a sort of Morris as well, sort of applying pressure and the time pressures and time constraints. And mm. for certain people answerable to the next person at all like that. Mm. But what was it like with Never Say Never Again, where there, with, did you feel that extra pressure where there was a competitive nature, you know, when it, because of, you know, yes. the, the film's nature. What, what what was like the atmosphere like around? Because uh, because you'd already um, sort of worked. Yeah, go on. Sorry, you go. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm I'm, I'm that's, I've never been asked this question. I felt there was pressure. I don't know what the hierarchy thought because I never was in the offices in you know apart from saying hello to Iris for a cup of tea and things. I never mm. really what they. But the, there there was obviously notable um, realism that there was this competition. But because I was down on way down on the pecking order and giving being asked to do the work on it, there was I, I, I there, personally I wanted Octopussy to succeed because it was hubby. Yeah. Mm. But when I I saw some of the footage of Never Say Never, I was very impressed with some of it, the sharks. Mm. But then you know, then as you you get to know that it's not the family that made them, but there was also. Um, Pressure to, to to finish Octopussy at a certain time, which you know the pre- the premiere had been booked months in, in advance. Mm. And there's no way that you know that, that Never Say Never was going to be finished by then anyway. I I, I can't remember they were what time they, when they finished filming. And I think the editor was in Crafford actually, but no. And 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 Never Say Never was editing at Elstree, and and for me Elstree was was the no no studio because it was always Pinewood for me. It was the Bond yeah. and Pinewood, you know. Elstree was the studio that I didn't go too much really. So I was building up an anti thing of that anyway, that it wasn't a real bond. But there was a there was a factor of the feeling of the competition mm. and what was going to succeed. But I think the Never Say Never came out in December in '83, uh, whereas Octopus was June thirteenth or fourteenth, something like that. So um, I, I I felt there was uh, some competition going on, pressure. But but for me, being in in the lowest part of the pecking order at that point in my career, I, I wanted Octopus to succeed. It's, you know. a, it's such a unique moment in the franchise history yeah. and it's amazing that you you were at the, at the heart of it really which yeah. is you know well, we were pretty yeah a uniquely placed it's incredible yeah. Well, yeah it was it was and you know the whole thing about all of this was you know you, you, you i took on the responsibility of doing things because i was enthusiastic 
So in other words, you know, we didn't have like thousands of people doing the visual effects. There were like three optical cameramen. Yeah. You know, there was, there, there, and we did, you know, how, I don't know, was that? I think there was only there was only about forty shots in that film, something like that, forty or fifty shots. But you know, on on some other films, you had several hundred shots to do, but there were only three people to do it. Yeah. So and you, you and, and the whole focus was on you. You know, Aliens. I had a bit of a breakdown on Aliens. I, you know, I was doing the end titles and the um, a lot of the lightning shots, um, the electrostatic stuff, yeah. which was taken from uh, Cameron gave um, gave us these um, uh, elements from the Terminator. Uh, high contrast elements, and he wanted saying right there you go, use them. But you can't suddenly use those elements and put them over a completely mm. different film. You know they have to be reanimated and whatever. But you see that that was the problem. And he's a very he, he's a very good filmmaker, but very difficult if you're a technician or an optical cameraman. That was right up to the last minute for me. I was literally finishing the film, the entire, which were simplistic in so much. They, they ended up. Going from the pods, one mix to another mix to another mix, and a bit of a rock and roll. And then the entire was on black, but I didn't have much time to do it. In. And they're very small titles, very small, so the exposure mm. has to be right. So I had to then take them to Denham once I finished shooting the titles on my optical camera, excuse me, pick them up on Saturday, look at them, and then drive over to Technicolor at um, in Heathrow with Straighten, because they had 70mm facilities and it was blown up 70mm. But then the next day, the cast and crew was being shown at the Odeon Bar. So the pressure and working with somebody like him was so great. And it was just mm. me in my little room behind closed doors, you know, when you're on your own at night, creating this, these images, which was scary. Very scary because you, you didn't sleep very well because you... I was going to say, this is a, a through the night job, isn't it? This is, there, I assume there was no day and no night with this kind of job, no, if you saw. No, no. Yeah, you, you you literally you I, I I used to be one of the first to go in because I'm a light sleeper going about eight thirty in the morning something like that and you get on and you shoot your components you put it into that was called a day bath or denim you get that back about four o'clock and then you prepare yourself for the long night of putting mm. the actual shot together and bear in mind in eighty like eighty six I was also doing like uh, which was my favourite move one of the favourite movies two apart from the bonds two of my favourite movies I've ever worked on. Little Shop of Horrors and Return to Oz. And, and I, I'm so proud of my work on Return to Oz with the Gnome King, um, inserting that into the wall of, of, of you know, uh, which was claymation stuff, stop frame animation being inserted into cliff faces and things like that. Mm. Joy to work on that. But, um, yeah, and Little Shop of Horrors, which they cut out, it was the, the end sequence of the plant destroyed New York, but the American audience hated that. So they just reshot the ending where the car plant got electrocuted. But I know the Blu ray's got it out now. You can see that. Version of it, and that that should have won an Oscar if that was ever released. Amazing mm. stuff. Yeah, it, it it was it was a it was um a very lonely job. And I had a bit of a breakdown then anyway because I was working all hours because you were mm. literally because I was permanently employed, which is unusual for film people. But I I, I you know I, that's all I knew, and I was working for this company GSE, and you know we, we were doing all these movies. I was doing I don't know what I was doing an Indiana Jones, a Temple of Doom, Back to the Future, all of these young Sherlock's. And then literally going right into the next one, into the next one. Jesus Christ, then you had to do the trailer for Fatal Attraction, do the trailer for Star Trek IV. Yeah. And then in between that, you had to do the proper movies, effects, do with John Borman on Hope and Glory. And, you know, it was just madness. 
to be creative on every single one mm. it must have been absolutely sapping you know and also you give them all 100% which I still do to this yeah. day that you know I produce and supervise visual effects now so in other words I budget them and I also um, supervise them and but you try not to have the budget get interfere with the director's vision so mm. you, you, you're on a balance you're on a knife edge all the time you have to realise it is a business and it has to you do have a budget to stick with mostly but yeah. you also want to give the director everything he, he, he wants so you know it's a great training ground you know all of that was going on and, and then I was approached after Licence to Kill because I was doing the, all the trailers all the trailers all the inserts all the TV spots and all of that and then I was asked by a colleague of mine who used to work at GFC <coughs> excuse me if I would work at Madding's Magic at Shepparton I jumped at the chance of course because it was learning more about floor effect uh, miniatures and things and I handed my resignation in and went to finish did a small amount of work on Batman they did the, all the, the uh, Jack Nicholson Batman oh my I've lord the, I've got the newspaper artwork just there Jack, oh. Jack cosmetics yeah whatever anyway so um, one of our favourite films again you see that there just there. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's it, uh, that's the new... That's oh, the cosmetics, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of shots, aren't there, where it shows the headlines, isn't it? After the joke. Yes, I was spinning, spinning paper. Yeah, yeah. who is yeah. dearest Fergus? Yeah. 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 New and improved Joker products! With a new secret ingredient! Smiley. What is it? Now, let's go over to our blind taste test. Love that Joker. Where's it coming from? I don't know. Uh-oh. He don't look happy. He's been using Brand X. But with the Joker brand, I get a grin, a gim, and a gim. That luscious tan, those ruby lips, and hair color so natural, only your undertaker knows for sure. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Where can I get these fine new items? Well, that's the gang. Chances are you bought them already. <laughs> Love that joker. So remember, put on a happy face. When the Batman goes through Gotham, which was done at our stage, because Derek did it, yeah. there's a can of WD-40 on one of the window ledges, if you look to the right. It's the hero shot of Batman going through that way. Mm. And through the, through one, of the, one of the city roads and one of the ledges, you can see the, the red top from a can of WD-40. Have a look. <laughs> anyway, so, so I went there, and I was my primary job was to actually work on Neverending Story Two. Uh, I love the first one; it's a small amount of work on that, but not much. But the, so that, that was my introduction. I did about 150 optical effects on that movie, but we were shooting. I've got the orange somewhere as well. The, the, I've got one of the orange. So animating snake, we were doing floor effects, was doing loads of stuff because we had M stage. All the offices were around M stage, and M stage is where they shot the Daleks movies. Mm. So a very small stage. But during that period, I ended up um, working on Cape Fear. And I find you guilty, counselor, guilty of betraying your fellow man, guilty of betraying your country. Guilty of abrogating your oath, guilty of judging me and selling me out, and with the power vested me by the kingdom of God, I sent you to the ninth circle of hell. Now you will learn about loss, loss of freedom, loss of humanity. Now you and I will truly be the same. Chance. 
Oh, what a thrill. Which was one of the most exciting times. You yeah. Know, it was, I, I, I operated C camera battles focus and, and you know, and, and built the Everglades on H stage. Oh, and right. We, okay. Yeah, because, yeah, I was going to say, I've seen a picture recently of that. Of that, that um, miniature and everything, and the, the yeah. set, and the, it's got, just remarkable. I've got loads of photographs. I'll probably put some on there actually on my Instagram. Mm. I think you, there's loads of, of those yeah. on there. But we utilise H stage, which was the biggest stage at Shepparton. Slightly, but it's smaller than the WSM stage, but that's, that side is massive. So we constructed our own tank and we went with permission to Black Park cut a load of trees down which they were felling anyway and we had this big scenic artist man and we he painted the backdrop right. and all the trees were in and we built this tank and we also um had an underwater tank as well where we did the bit underneath the uh, the boat i had the most amazing five weeks of, of shooting miniatures in my life it was just incredible oh. it, you know and, and derek was directing it um, right that, and um paul wilson was lighting it and uh, you know so i was pulling i did see camera which was the white the, the side shot of the boat breaking up but oh, it was yeah. just all mucked in oh it just all mucked in and we were you know and it was just incredible and freddie francis came over and it was it was incredible and and, and marty martin scorsese arranged for the print to be flown over and we we, we all sat down and viewed it at shepperton and it was oh. you know when i had the, the jerry golds is it jerry no the uh, bernard herman school yes yeah rework yeah it was orgasmic so you know, we, we did all that. And, and again, this is, I'm going back to um, after that, then there was this period of Derek not, not doing a huge amount of work. And he used to come in and said, oh, you know, I wonder if I'll be doing the new Bond. I haven't done one for a while or that. Yeah, he hasn't done it. And then he came in one day saying he's doing it. Mm. Yeah, there was a so, big um, bit of a gap for him, wasn't there? Was it, there was a huge gap. Was the last one he did before Goldeneye, I can't remember. I think so. He, did, he also did another one called Germanelle, which was with, we'd created this mineshaft sequence and it was an action sequence. And that was, it wasn't a massive bit, but it was a Gerard Depardieu film. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he was obviously thinking, you know, like we all do in the industry, you know, I've been doing it for 40 odd years and there are times when you think you're not needed, but suddenly you get you get more work. He came in and said he was doing Goldeneye. He went off to, and that was it, we didn't see him for ages. And we started working on it. And I first experience on that was a first week. So, um, seven eyes set. Oh, I was yeah. Unit and second unit, I was doing back projection because we had a back projector as well, which is the old technique. Well, now people call it virtual LED screens and whatever, but there was a, you know, the, there was a time when you actually projected film on, on the on, on a screen with the characters in the in the foreground but it was um it was it it sounds very simple but it's not you have to light it correctly you've got to get the exposure right for the background you can't have the shutter out of sync there's loads of things and you had two techniques front and back projection so the seven i set a lot of that those graphics were back projected so they were there they weren't mm. screens and things and especially the, yeah. the, the app which is the the, the the line where the seven i sat the satellites Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the back projection. So I was behind, wow. about 120 foot behind that screen. They'd only recently converted the factory to a film stage, but it was leaking just at the point where the projector had to be. But blessing Peter Lamont constructed a like a, a a bounce mirror thing where the image came in, hit the mirror, and then bounced bounced another for prism after another thing. So I could do it at a right angle, have the projector at a right angle where it wasn't raining. And so I was doing like the first few days of, of a new Bond movie, a new era, uh, yeah. with awesome. Martin, who was very nervous, that um, brilliant director, right. but very different way of directing to Ian Sharp, who was the second unit director. Um, and, and, and I was working, I don't know, 50, 20, 20 hours a day on that because it was, yeah, I was yeah. doing main unit and second unit. 
and that was my first experience on that on 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 uh, at least and then we we took did some of the miniature the satellite sequence oh, yeah, and things yeah. like that later general arkady grigorovich orumov head of space division If I'd known, I'd... You'd have been ready. This is an unscheduled test of the Seven Eye facility, Major. War simulation. We're going to test fire Golden Eye. Report your status. Two operational satellites, sir. Petya and the Misha, both in 90-minute Earth orbit at 100 kilometers. Good. Here's the authorization code. Now, the Golden Eye and today's access numbers for satellite Petya, please. I am timing you. Thank you, mate. Then I left uh, a magic because uh, I, I realised that my days were numbered because CGI was coming in. Yeah. Mm. And fast, and, and I ended up going to... Um, I was a visual effects, digital effects producer, no experience in that at all. At CineSight in their early days, and I got them work on Muppet Treasure Island, ended up with Muppets, yeah. which was a joy. I love the Muppets, talented people, and met all the guys at the studio and watched all the rushes, which was ad-libbing with Rizzo and all of it. it was just incredible. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. You know, the, the rushes were just the funniest things I've ever oh. seen. Um, um, and, and then my career started in, in Soho, and that, that's the time when I left the Bond movies because Cubby had gone and yeah, um, yeah. and there were new people coming in and, and and to be honest I like some of the Pierce ones and everything I'm you know and it's evolution I'm not I'm not a Craig person you know that's I, that's just the way I yeah, am we're, we're I, not quite as, quite as down on him you, you have worked with Dun- on a Daniel Craig film or two haven't you no you've done your homework yeah yeah, 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 have, yeah. <laughs> yeah love is a devil so my other half in there, he was the supervisor, so he was on set more, but I was dealing with the money. Right. And he was a charming man. He used to come in to our offices in um, a film factory and see us put the work together. You know, he hadn't been Hollywoodized. And, yeah, that was great. Uh, and, and, and that show was great because, again, not with my other half, but our backgrounds come from traditional film, and we had to make things look very much like paintings without mm. showing paintings for legal reasons. So we, I, we, I did a Zeffirelli movie, too, with Mussolini, and that was another thing. Yeah, yeah. There would be Picasso <laughs> paintings, and I, and I couldn't utilise the actual Picasso paintings, but they had to look like Picasso paintings. Ah, right, okay. they, were all, they were all behind Cher. You know, that 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 was quite tough with the lawyers and everything. But again, with the, like the Francis Bacon, and I'm really, I think what Simon did was great stuff and, and what, you know, what, what we achieved. It was a real, it was John Mabry directing. There wasn't much money. I mean, it was a real collaboration. It was really good. But he used to come in. Yeah. You know, he used to come in. So, no, he was great. And he, he's probably still really good now, but he's not my bond. Uh, he yeah. really isn't. 
Who, who's your no. favourite then? I know you've, you've got Roger behind you. Is he is he the one who got, got you Roger, into the box? I've got Roger there. I've got some Russian love in the tall way. I've got a full man with a golden gun Italian. Oh. Gun, <laughs> got finger in there. I've got, you know, Gotham City. And then we've got more in Windsor. You know, I, I just collected a load of stuff. But it's um, <laughs> my favourite Bond. I think you've got to actually think about also, and I do this because I do work with actors, I think my favourite Bond is Roger. Yeah, um, because he's such a lovely man. My ideal double bill was on a Majesty's Secret Service and Living That Die in 1974. Oh, dear. I saw that a few times. <laughs> wow. And it was just amazing. My favourite, and this is against going against the grain, my favourite Sean movie was Diamonds Are Forever because no, I was brought up with diamonds. Um, mm-hmm. I love Tom Mankiewicz's way of yeah. writing. I like yeah. the yeah. campness. You know, I love the campness of mm-hmm. Charles Gray. I yeah, love the delivery of lines, you know, and, and all of that. Living Let Die is my favourite Bond. I saw that 33 times at the cinema. And, <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, you know, well, we, we've seen it more bit. than that at home, haven't we? So I don't know why we're laughing. But... Yeah. No, oh, I yeah. see it at the cinema. Well, yeah, I yeah, like it. Yeah, well, I, I obviously see it at home a lot. But, it, but you know, I, I, I write down every time I saw it at the cinema. It's, you know, the, it's, it's never on record, but there, there was the most amazing double bill that Living Let Die also went on, which was the only of twice. I saw oh, that right. in Pinna Cinema, Pinna Mayfair. And I, saw, and I got posters for them, you know, they're yeah. two double crimes stuck together. You know, it, and, and, and I was so lucky to have been brought up in the 70s. Yeah. Um, wow. And, and um, you know, the 80s, they started to, obviously, because video and, and whatever. But the double bills were just coming out thick and fast. And Goldfinger Diamonds Are Forever, I saw it um, worthy. You know, and, 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 and all of that was my childhood. So it was inevitable, yeah. I, you know, I'd put it. I was brainwashed, really. I, I, I got in. Action. This is John Glenn. You're listening to Really <laughs> 007 Podcast. You know, and in, in terms of what I do now, you know, then me and my other half won a BAFTA. Um, we've got one each yes. for this podcast. Which, you know, we're in competition yeah. with all these big companies like Framestore who are doing Walking with Dinosaurs and this and that. And again, yeah. it's just, mm. us, just us small up team. And we won. Yeah. I don't think it's the best show out there, but it was different at the time. Visually, though, it was great. incredible, wasn't it? I do yeah. remember it. We, we shot things yeah. traditionally. Again, we shot things traditionally. We, we had them, I can't remember his name now. Oh, God, Derek Jarman's. Oh. Christopher Hobbs, that's it, Chris Hobbs. Uh, lovely man. Names. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, he was a lovely man, but he sh- we shot things traditionally. And, and it wasn't perhaps sometimes the best way of doing it. But there is an organic feel to it. And we did Deep Blue Sea. We did the, 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 the yeah. sequence, um, You Ate My Bird, with a bit of sunken kitchen. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we went on holiday. Well, Rob's we favourite still here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we went on holiday. You know, we just went on holiday and, um, and, and, and used my credit card because we, we're both film buffs. You know, and we went to Chateau Marmont. Uh, it cost me arm and a leg because we heard about all of this, you know, all the scandal and all, you know, and the fact that it's got amazing history. And we went to Chateau Marmont. We had a bungalow. We saw Keanu Reeves and everything. Oh. And, it, and, and then I went <laughs> to see people because we were, you know, obviously looking for work as well. And we, we went, Jeff Oaken, who's he, he's a colleague, not necessarily a friend, but he's a friend actually now. And he was supervising Deep Blue Sea and he offered us some work. So we came back with some work. So we did the, the bit of the sunken kitchen. Where LL Cool yeah, yeah. in the um, oven and he says, You ate my bird. And, yeah. and he likes it, does he? Well, oh, that lighter didn't exist. Yeah. You know, all of that and the flame. 
that because we I go back to the days of film, we beat Ireland to finishing shots and things. And remember, wow. we were just a company in Soho. So what we did is that we got a Mitchell camera, put it and it's on a Friday when everybody's partying down below in Dean Street. We're on the roof. We, we got a can of WB40 with um, the nozzle, you know, the little straw thing at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Light to it, and it creates a firewall. So we filmed it. So we didn't make a CGI version. We we, we used physical film elements, um, and that's what yeah. we did. And then the lighter, and then CG lighter, and all of that. And wham, you know. We did things like that, and then we had our own company. Then September the 11th happened. Also, we were doing a Winona Ryder movie. She went shoplifting. So the, this <laughs> film we were doing then collapsed. So we decided uh, that we couldn't finance. The, we didn't want to finance our company anymore. So we we, we decided to um, rent voluntary insolvent, and then we we became freelancers. And then I ended up doing a load of Poirots, going to Egypt for Death on the Nile, the, the Suchet ones. A Highlander, one of them. Um, yeah. it was it was was it was interesting, should we say? Um, um, <laughs> and, and then I worked for a production company in Belgium, and that's when I started working with Paul Haggis, Lee Tamahori. Yes, um, yeah. all right. Then, so you know, and, yeah, I know. And, and Lee, who's an interesting character, my yeah. other supervised Devil's Double, which I think is some of the best twinning work I've ever seen and I was in the background producing the work so I wasn't on set and I was doing um, another movie at the time but then Roland Joffe um, I adore that man he's in the 70s now and he took me on the most amazing adventures climbing up the sides of mountains going to India staying in a tent three months in India you know and and trying to make these effects work on a crane which he does sweeping camera moves and all of that being friends with Josh and all of that. It was just amazing. Oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, time traveller with Josh Hartnett, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So many names, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because it had... Yeah. some good stuff yeah. in it, you know, and, and I had a budget. Um, and the film should have been 80 million, but it cost 25 million. The effects was under a million, and we did underwater sequences. We did it so much. We shot yeah. all over the world. And, and I'm relatively proud, you know, but it was, wasn't the best film. I think it had been re-edited so many times, and uh, my, my main producer in Belgium was having, uh, shall we say, financial difficulties. But it was very long, and we did seven movies. I did seven movies with him. But then I developed my friendship with the, the Paul Haggis. Right, oh, brilliant. Really? He's a very good filmmaker, actually, very, very in-depth. I did third person. And then I got yeah. to know the, the, like Liam Neeson, Mila Kunis, and Ashton came over and all of this, and it was just the paparazzi. I was in a car. They asked me to go in a car. 
because they were um, being because they were only dating at that time, and the paparazzi were after him. Oh, and of I course, had to yeah. Decoy for them. Amazing times. And then Good Omens, I did for Neil Gaiman. Um, yeah, you got a, you've got nominated for that, haven't you, BAFTA? Yeah, no, yeah, really? I didn't win. Yeah, but yeah, I got nominated, which was good. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I I I came in partway through that show because they didn't have anybody representing the production to supervise to do produce the effect. Right. They just had the facility, which is rather dangerous, should we say, because but you haven't got the production's interests at heart. So I came in because um, I'm known for coming in and doing things like that. Right. And and Neil Gaiman was delightful, and I, I I've never met such an energetic director as Doug McKinnon. You know, he 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 was he did all six. Uh, normally on a show like a, a, yeah. a director, three of them, yeah, six. Amazing man, and very, very certainly pushes you. Really good bloke. <laughs> and during the time, I also oversee insurance claims, and I, I do big movies. And if, if an actor's hurt themselves, or the set's been damaged, or fire damage, wind damage, something, I investigate mm. claims. So I do that when I'm out of work. But I can't tell you, but I'm potentially got. A, I've got a job coming up soon. Uh, so if you want to come down and have a beer soon, have it soon. I'm yeah, you'll be. Soon. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the bum movies for me are still in the background. My, my, my um, most amazing experiences and to have done six and to talk about them now. You know, the, the thing is, the whole thing about it is, is that I knew nobody in the industry, not one person. I got in the industry. I didn't tell you this. This is funny. I got because I was ringing around and, and, and I rang Star Wars production office and I was cheating myself because, you know, all these people, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was a mouse person. And, and it was in 1981 and they said, yeah, we are looking for people. And I got really excited. And they said, well, you wouldn't happen to be um, a dwarf, would you? <laughs> and, I, and I said I'm willing to cut my leg. I said I'm willing to cut my legs off just to get in the industry. And the woman laughed. And she gave me the best advice: was ringing the union up every day. But what they were doing was casting for the Ewoks. For Ewoks. Yeah. Oh, and I yeah. got and, and this lady, this girl in the production always gave me the best advice is ring at that time the ACTT because you couldn't get in unless you had a union card yes. ring the ACTT every week and see if there are any junior positions you know you, you can follow your dream I think I, I, I have to admit although the, probably the competition is greater now to get what you want because now the, it, it, because of uh, social media and uh, a lot of film schools and like the yeah, thousands yeah. of people working CGI you could get in the industry possibly easier now, but to get into a position of full responsibility is probably a bit more difficult because you've got a thousand people after one supervisory job. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, with me, because my, my, my approach to supervising is is going back, looking at organic things, you know, working with Derek, working with Morris, working with Borman, you know, I was, I, you know, all of these people. And yeah, with Roman Polanski, I ended up doing a few shows for him, but he couldn't yeah. come over. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, because of what happened with um, the potential business, whether yes. it was Nicholson yeah. or him, <laughs> all yeah. of that stuff, which goes back to the, I don't know, 70s or whatever it is. But I, I had to fly over to present my work to him. So not only did I have to do the work uh, at Shepperton on Death and the Maiden, Bitterman, and another one as well. And then six in the morning, had to collect my brushes and then, f- without seeing it, fly over to Paris, meet him <laughs> and, and um, his entourage. And he is got incredible presence, shall we yeah. say, amazing presence. And, um, uh, and I got on very well with him because there was one time he was limping. I, I said, what's the matter with you? And he said, he's had a hernia operation. And I said, well, I've had two of them. So he trousers and showed me his scar. <laughs> I dropped mine. No worries there. He said, "Does it hurt a lot?" And I said, "Yeah." 
it does hurt a lot, you know, and 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 you know, and I would say there's there's some naivety in the post-production side of how we work, but he was an amazing filmmaker, and I'm yeah, very yeah. fortunate, you know, to have worked with these people and being part of camera crews, you know, and Jack Cardiff and all of these people. It's it's just, but it's um, I I, I tallied up. Because I found my diary in 1993, 94, and at that time I'd worked on just under 400 movies. Because I used to write down on TV shows, included, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, whether they be there were some admittedly foreign versions and things, but there were also, uh, but they were. If you look at IMDb now, if you just done one shot, you credited. You know, I didn't do yeah. that. You know, you had to fully work on a movie before you. You know, I, yeah, I, of course, I yeah. warranted putting it down. But yeah, there's about there's probably about over four fifty I've done now, something like that. And I'm and I'm very proud that I'm probably you know one of the longest serving members in visual effects still. Yeah. But over the years, I've collected so many things. I've got seventeen prints, and we only twice two thousand one. All of this, you know, the film was never shot in seventeen one because all of these people that used to have worked as blue screen consultant Stan Sayer, I worked with him in the eighties and nineties. He was throwing all his bits away. And all his tests, mm. and he says, no, I'll have them, and I'm just a hoarder, you know. <laughs> and, um, so it was inevitable. I got, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I'm still doing it. Yeah. You know? um, uh, and I've got the most incredible memories, you know. And Derek, you know, doing the Golden Night thing is my yeah, last that's one. Yeah, fantastic. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And uh, the thing for me, you know, I was brought up with Thunderbirds. Yeah. 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 I was brought up with that, and I was brought up with the Bonds. Um, and for me, the bomb, ti- the bomb titles and the gun barrel was, you know, following on from the United Artists Trans America logo. It yeah, was just yeah. amazing. And the John Barry music and all of that. Yeah. And yet, you know, I can be very critical of the new one. I was going to say, what what you thought of yeah. not having the gun barrel or having it at the end? Mm-hmm. Or... No, I didn't like it. Now, the whole thing about, you see, for, for me, I, I, I follow in Maurice, what Maurice used to tell to me personally and how protective he was of his design. You know, there, there are reasons why he designed it like that. There were reasons why it's at the beginning. You know, there are reasons yeah. why um, you, you, you completely go black after the logo and you have two beats before the music starts and the dots rather than the music of the Bond thing coming on and then on mm. the yeah, yeah. logo. That ruins the drama. No, my opinion, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ruins the drama and the wham, hits you. You know, um, what, yeah. what, when it goes, you have the logo and then it goes black and then one bomb, bam, bam, comes. Whereas now it's a precursor, you go, it's building up, building up with an MGM line with Universal. Yeah, and you can hear Universal the music already. Turning that into that. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, well, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the way, way Daniel walks, you see his gun. The whole idea is Maurice hit the gun. He didn't, you know. Yeah, yeah. He mm-hmm. Because it's, so meant to be, it's being spied on, isn't it? Mm, mm. That's really shocked that he turns and shoots. Isn't yeah, I know. Yeah, it, 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 so, so all of this, you know, and it is being very anal, you know. I, I know. Oh yeah, I know, yeah. Well, there was no know, blood, was there, for no time to die? That people got upset at that, didn't they? No, I know, and um, I, I just, but but times change. Yeah. And it's a, it's a new era, and so I, I you know, I, I, I only saw it once at the cinema, but I, you know, rather than the million times of the the, the more ones yeah. and whatever, but that was my childhood. That was my excitement, yeah, yeah. And I, you know. And I, and I thank the, the, the. I've only seen it once as well, Alan. Really? <laughs> right. Yeah, and, 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 and once was I, enough. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know who's going to be watching this, but I do. I know, I know certain people in the business of that. But I have to. But I, as far as I'm concerned, it wasn't a bomb film for me. It really wasn't, and, and I didn't um, like the end. I thought it was a vehicle for Craig rather than a bomb movie, and that's what I didn't like. If you get the the, the actor involved in the script, that's what yeah, you're producing. Yeah, I do um, agree with you. It is a shame, I think, and mm, I don't mm. know where, where do you think they'll go next. I think they go back in time. I think they'll readdress. They'll forget now that Bond's dead, and they'll go back to the an in between era from Russia. Yeah, yeah. Or, and, I think and they'll one thing about it. One thing about it is, you know, there's obviously been a big push to visual effects and doing away with tradition, doing away with the gun barrel and all that. But what mm. what could end up happening is that we, re- you know, there's more of a, an appetite for going back to more practical effects, so. uh, less CGI, and mm. The traditional mm. things of Bond, such as the gun barrel, that I think I think there might be sort of quite, quite a few fans, fans clamouring for that now, and I, and I hope there is a return to your era of Bond, mm. really, I, and the I things you created. So. No, I, I hope so. You know, I, I what what's amazing is when you see the publicity mirror of the new Bond films, you see a traditional gun barrel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Film and 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 this is you know the poster campaigns for one of them was it like Spectre or Skyfall I can't remember. I had the traditional gun barrel. Yeah, <laughs> more more akin to what Skyfall that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Skyfall. And so so there there is a belief that that's a trademark. So why that yeah. isn't that in the film or is well, it? Well, when it never know, say never again, you couldn't use it, and and that's one of the big things. Like, oh, it's not an official bomb film because it hasn't yeah. got a gun barrel. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I find it. Do. You know, I find I find it amazing, and you know, for, I've um. For, for me, that was, you know, and the John Barry music, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I love John, George Martin, but I was brought up with Living at Time more than any other others. It's a great but, um, You know, I, I, Marvin Hamlish, when I saw that, excuse me, on the 9th of the 7th, 77, I still know the date. <laughs> the mm-hmm. there, I thought, what's happened to the da da That wasn't there. It was done. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my yeah. disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was radical back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hated it. I had <laughs> and, and also, it, when the title came up, Spy Love Me, she did, Carly Simon didn't say Spy Love Me. <laughs> so, no, oh, right. To the words, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's all these little things. You know, I was very, you know, very, yeah. you know and, and that's, you know, and that's when I started doing the bonds or, or I put my mark on like the gun barrel special but especially is that i looked at it and i paid my little bit so i didn't i didn't make it go to white no you didn't I alter the formula thunderball. Yeah. Uh, you know thunderball's got all these jerky bits and everything which you know where you can see it but i love that gun barrel and it goes yeah. from the from 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 the, him firing the gun back plate and it's from the red into the picture and yeah. you can see my, the one I did, it, it does that. I they redid the Thunderball play. song, didn't they? Because he, he wanted yeah. Cubby or whoever wanted it to fit mm-hmm. with Thunderball being sung as a lyric exactly. to see it on the screen. It's so important. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Yeah. You know, I know Manchester's and Frush and Usher Love is different because it was an instrumental. And I yeah. love yeah. yeah. That's probably that and Living at Die, my favourite set of titles. Maurice's favourite set of titles, he said for him, were for your eyes only. Because he oh, liked right. really much it. That was his favourite set right. because he liked Working machine, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Um, yeah. But he and we had to use some of that glass effect stuff with the water, which you know we we did we, we recreated some of that on Nice to Kill. 
But um, he, you know, for me, that was part of it. it was, you know, again, as I say, like the titles and, and with Carly Simon, it's like Heaven Above Me, The Spy I Love Me was a lot later on. Yes, yeah. Um, whereas <laughs> I was a bit disappointed. Now I love it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sell through now, won't we, I think. Yeah, Gold, GoldenEye, you know, GoldenEye's a bit too much. I, you know, again, I think the titles are not placed in it. You know, it's, it's you know, Daniel Kleiner's a great designer. There's no knocking yeah. that, but, it, you know, yeah. but... He's different to Maurice, and I was brought up with Maurice, and Maurice was putting titles in an area where you could see the titles and look at your eyes. I used to do traditional matte paintings, glass matte paintings with Doug yeah. Ferris. And Doug Ferris did a lot of 2001 stuff and Guns and Never Own, and I learned a lot with him. And these were full glass matte paintings. And, and, and Dougie Ferris and John Grant, they did some work on diamonds as well, got sea plates and that and everything. But, you know, they're, they're not with us now, or, or uh, yeah. I don't I use with now, and then there's huge glass matte paintings, and I worked with him as an optical cameraman on that, and we did a Pink Panther movie and things. It, what he always said to me, he said, "Your eye will tell. You, you've got to tell the audience where your eye is going to be. So you've got to. So if if it, you know to to fool the audience for a matte painting, a glass matte painting." You've got to have some action over there. So whether it's a bit of mm. water or something, so you scratch some of the glass, scratch some of the painting off, and you create a light effect behind the glass. And you can say, oh, God, your eye's going to that. And by that time, you put something over there, and you put something over there, and then within mm. the four seconds that that's on frame, the shot's gone. Mm. Now, your eye's then flowing from there to there to there to there. And then you've accepted it. So I yeah, think with yeah. the title sequence, and we've, we've done, me and my wife done title sequences as well, because it's highly influenced with, with um, what I did work with Maurice, is that titles are as important as the backgrounds. And I think what you need to do is, is you position the titles. So you look at that, like Harry Sorts whenever I broccoli presents, and you see something down there of a girl doing this or hand. Yeah. And then suddenly that turns into something else. And mm. then the other title comes up, and then it's a fluidity, oh. which then works with the song. And I don't, and, and, and Maurice used only a few times, but very little times of doing cuts. It was always a mix to here, a mix to there, which was a nightmare for me or us people that did it because you had to do it as one sequence, but rather than cut to cut to cut to cut to cut. And it, it breaks it up. And, and, and I think that's what happens nowadays. But, you know, it, it's each to their own. People, people like the things nowadays. I certainly like a lot of stuff nowadays, but I do think with what you're saying, sorry, I'm waffling now, but no. back to saying there's a traditional side of things. I think there is time to go back and to do do things that are a bit more traditional, that aren't yeah. heavily reliant on CGI. Yeah, yeah. Give the actors credit. Give the give the uh, stuntman credit and do proper stunts. I think they've kind oh. of done that a little bit with the Star Wars franchise, a little bit where they've mm-hmm. obviously there was a, a CGI developed. They they really adopted that and used it, but then more recently mm-hmm. they've sort mm-hmm. of returned to practical effects, dressing up puppetry and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think because I, th- I think the audience have a, an immediate fondness and an immediate connection yeah. with anything practical. You're, you're very right, actually, because you know I, I've only recently, as I said, started doing Instagram, and I I, I I I don't put everything out because some of my stuff is very private, and I I trust the, the people that I work with over the years, so I, I am very mm. diplomatic in things. But the things that I'm very proud of, I put certain things out there and photographs as as a fan, but also a, not necessarily a bond, but 
but but also as a as a as a tribute to the, you know the things we did stuff on Hudson Hawk, which were miniatures and things, you know, mm. and, and and lots of things like that. And 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 to this day, you could still do things as miniatures. But what you utilize is you use that as a as your basis, and and then build it around and use CGI as a tool. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I, I I always use this word organic. I never liked the first movie, June. I went to the premiere of June at the Empire, the original one, and I never liked it. But then the new one came out, and it's won the won all the awards and everything. But I just found it was just it was just too too CGI. I couldn't believe in mm. it. Whereas I I now look at June again, the original one with miniatures, with things, mm. with uh, live action, with sets that weren't. Just pure blue screen, and and then 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 there's a there is an organic feel to it. You know, it may be just me because June was successful at the box office, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, and whenever I do a VFX work or whatever, I try my hardest to try and think of a way of doing things traditionally first. And mm. sometimes it's not possible, and I understand that. But um, I always want to, I, I want to put some life into it um, rather than make believe computer generator stuff and you worked on labyrinth actually just while i remember did you yeah yeah the fairy wings so well now aren't they you know mm-hmm. it's that's mm-hmm. been a cult classic really hasn't it over the years it has you know you see that's, that's another one that, you know i didn't do anything on the dark crystal but it was that was it was amazing actually when you look at the 80s you know that was that was when i entered the industry and you know we we there weren't many visual effects companies in the uk and we were we were getting the the, the Aussie, you know, Lucas coming in and um, Bonds coming in and everything. And we were doing work, you know, because rather than going to the States, which they did the main bulk of work there, but we were doing work over here. And because of the big contracts that the Americans had, we didn't get credit. But what we used to do was, you know, I used to do my work and I used to drive it to Pinewood or Twickenham or sometimes Elstree, you know, and they used to cut us in. Um, And it was. I was looking at your CV and I just assumed you'd lived in Hollywood your entire uh, life, you know. <laughs> Harrow, Harrowfield, and, and I used yeah, to have, yeah, it's amazing. On the Metropolitan line until I passed my driving test. Oh, right. Know, Electric Dreams, you know, that that's a, yeah. a, a movie which I loved, you know, that I did a hell of a lot of That's one I was really given a lot of work responsibility on. Um, uh, which 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 flopped purely because there was a political problem with Virgin, I think, at the time. And then, right. um, and, and I think there was some other, I think it was MGM or something, but there was some problem with releasing the songs. But it was also released at the, I think, the Odin Haymarket. And the Odin Haymarket at that time had asbestos problems. Um, and, and so as a result, um, didn't get the uh, the time it needed to to take in enough. Yeah, yeah. Something. Anyway, Electric Dreams, you know, I've got a Blu-ray now. And I, I, oh, great. I Great, great movie, you know, with uh, yeah. Virginia Madsen. But that was, uh, you know, that was filmed in San Francisco, but it was all posted in Twickenham, I think it was, Twickenham Studios. Okay. Done over here. Jula Vanala did some work on that. Did you? Um, all right. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's um, so good. Get the explosion of the boat, you know. Um, yeah. In, you know, in, um, yeah, when he's on his motorbike. That's so, it. Into mm-hmm. the boat, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, right. Because yeah. they were editing at Twickenham. You know, they were shooting all over the place, but it's all these things. Again, I didn't put that down. Um, it, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not on the... But it's, it's, it's I, I can't, you know, I, I, I look back with fondness and like talking to you guys, it brings back memories. I've got so yeah. many other stories, you know, could go on for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, now there's a lot of the streaming shows, which is it's good because it's made the industry very busy again. But yeah. the problem with these streaming shows is I used to like going to the premiers, I used to like the, 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 the build-up. Of, of yeah. TV, 
film coming out, the cinema and this and that. And, you know, you go to a premiere now and most people are more worried about what they look like. Yes, yeah. But, you know, for po- rather than the film themselves. And once the film started, mm. a lot of these people walk out because they're more worried about posting their Instagram things and not worrying about yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I saw so, on your yeah. Instagram, you it wasn't one of your jobs to take photos at the premiere. Of living daylights, you. Oh no, no, that wasn't my job. Oh, it's was it? All right, I thought they were so <laughs> professional. I thought they were. Oh no, it's just no. me. No, you no, just no, had the family, right? Yeah, I was just. I, no, because I worked on the movie, so I, yeah. I did no, no reason that you know I bought tickets anyway. But um, yeah. no, I, I, it was in. I think I said earlier the security wasn't there then because you know. Because you yeah. hadn't got you know, the, the, these these in, Instagrammy or you know social network things, you know, and, and you had the proper stars there rather than these people that do Love Island, or whatever. Going to the <laughs> yeah. But what, you, you go to the premiere like Living Daylights, and I was around them all. I didn't know Tim because yeah. I wasn't on set when you know that time, and you know I was, I was in the background background on that. But uh, you know, I, I just took photographs. You know, I've got photographs of a View to a Kill. You know, Duran Duran and all of that, and Grace Jones. Oh um, my word. To the premiere of that, I sent next to a pop group called Amazulu. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and all of that with it, you know. To, but it, 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 but and Charles Dye and Die at the premiere and all of that. Yeah. And it was just amazing, and it was the event, you know, viewed to a kill. I could hear chanting outside with all the fans saying, "We want Duran Duran as we were watching yeah. the movie." It was just madness. But it's but the times have changed now, you know, and. You know, but the it, 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 sense of occasion perhaps is still there on some films. It's certainly not on the ones that I pitch for because I like going, working on movies that I enjoy. You know, um, for me, it's 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 the subject matter, it's the people that you work with. It's not necessarily the box office receipts for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Marvel movies, I I don't watch them. I think they're very clever. I have to admit. I I I think for me, you know, I'd, I'd rather do a, a film that has real. Work or what seamless VFX, you know. You know, I'm glad I'm still doing it. So, you like action movies and you love the stars who perform their own stunts, right? Okay, stop. That's not what this show is. We visit movies from the archive and explore the stunt performer's role in creating the magic you see on screen. We take a deep dive into the stunt itself and break it down so you can better understand how important the stunt performers are to big and small screen productions. Join me, John Orty, every Wednesday for the podcast and every Friday for the YouTube episode. Action Movie Secrets every week when we go behind the stunts. Find it wherever you find your podcasts. You said before the start you do, you've done six Bond films, you've done countless others. Mm-hmm. You must be one of the only people who's worked on Never Say Never Again and Octopussy. Yeah, that's astonishing. Yeah, yeah it is. There was, there was somebody, I think, I don't know if it was Paul Weston or Rocky Taylor, somebody not so long ago was saying, oh, you know, there's not a Vic Armstrong. Vic Armstrong, I think, was saying, oh, there's not many people, you know, that that, that works on both, and I've done yeah. both. And I've done both as well, but I didn't really, you know. <laughs> it, was great, it was great, really, finishing Octopussy and then starting then carrying on doing work on I'll never say never. Um, it, was, it was amazing, and I, I, I still keep all of my, my my little tests that yeah, because you have to do all your different things. And if you see on the Instagram, I'm still finding bits and pieces, you know, that I'm rummaging through things because I never threw anything away. But there you go. That's mm. absolutely right. It's a treasure trove. Mm. I mean, there's so yeah. sp- such specific insights and mm. people sadly yeah. who aren't here, you know, like Derek and and Maurice. It's yeah. even more special to hear this insight that we can't get as Bond fans. Yeah. You know, Life yeah, is and, uh, our favourite film, you know, 
They are when you're a fun yourself. Like, you know what? That's become yeah. mine. Uh, one of mine. Yeah, because yeah. One last thing. I, I wasn't enamoured when I heard the Michael Caine score because I was a traditionalist and wanted John yeah. Barry. But then it warmed to me. And, and then, um, you know, seeing it at the Prince Charles when I did that presentation. Oh, and, yeah. And that, you know, it's a shame I didn't see you go. I, I, I didn't go to the, the, the um, last Prince Charles one. But when I, I see it there... I know, and I'm sitting there with my popcorn, and you think, God, what's in my hand? Oh, yeah. You know, and I'm just watching it's it like so that. Special. And then I realise, you, you know, it, it, it's quite frankly one of the best moments. That tanker sequence had very little of my work. It was all real. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's yeah. yeah, It's stunning. And all I did, or us, us optical people did, was compliment what was shot originally. Absolutely. And that, is what should happen now and a lot of things, you know, and and and, and I just think License to Kill is something that I think everybody should be proud of on that. I think it was brilliant. You know, that tanker yeah. sequence was amazing, and I thought Tim was just stunning. Um, yes, I'm very proud. Very, yeah, very yeah. proud. Very proud to be um, a part of that. I'm, I'm glad I worked with Cuppy. Oh, oh Cubby, yeah. Cubby. Cubby, yeah, I want to hear a bit uh, about Quickly, 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 when Cubby. Yeah. So Maurice introduced me to Cubby, because Maurice was very compartmental, but he knew, you know, which was true, um, as per the, do- the DVD or documentary. But he introduced me to Cubby, and, of course, he saw me, Maurice directing me. And then when Maurice died, I went to his memorial tribute, his funeral. In 91, he died, and it was at the Festival Hall reception area. Cubby wasn't very well, and he was couldn't hardly, could hardly walk. And um, Barbara was there, and everybody was around him, about the new bond because it, you know, it was a long yeah. time. You know, nobody knew what was going on. I was very shy. Mother um, half got me to stand up. Said, "There, no, go and just stand over there." And Cubby saw me, came up to me, and he said, "Hello, how are you?" And I, I don't know what possessed me. And I said to him, "Well, you don't know me, do you?" And he said, "Yes, I do. You're <laughs> Alan." I said, "You're Alan. How are you?" Oh, wow. And I knew everything about me. Um, it's just incredible. Isn't it? and, 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 and then, you know, I used to still pop down to, even when I stopped working on the Bonds, to see Iris and that lot. Um, uh, and, and when Cubby died, she, she used to ring my mum up at home, and I'd left home by then, but ring my mum and say, How's Alan getting on and all of that? Oh. Um, and then told me when Cubby died, you see. And then I got invited to his memorial. Um, tribute at the Odinessa Square when everybody came oh, down, and I, I think that was just amazing. It was. I, mean, it's, it's I didn't a get credit. Special family, isn't it? Yeah, and it, yeah, and it was the end of an era as well. And I, I know at least we've got Michael and Barbara who are continuing the legacy, but very much so. I know them loosely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You okay, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. Cubby's the sort of father figure, the godfather almost, isn't he? Who sort of mm-hmm. very much so. Yeah. You know, and I'm and I'm and you know, I'm very proud as well that I'm, you know, I've got to know Stephen very well, Stephen Saltzman very well. And, oh, of course, yeah, yeah, uh, Because right. yeah, he, he, I, I knew him from he used to come down to watch Maurice shoot, um, and right. we've got to know him quite well recently over the past few years as well. When we oh, met, I met Stephen again at Rogers Memorial Tribute. At oh, my gosh. Um, for me, being you know somebody that never got credit but put so much effort into it, it's nice to talk about it now. And, uh, you know, yeah. oh, and I just want to share it with, with other yeah. fans. Yeah. I am. Loving yeah. sh- putting the spotlight on people like yourself, Alan, that... Mm have done mm, yeah. so many amazing things behind mm. behind the scenes, but actually on camera as well, we're learning as well. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 all of you, it gets me them again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That bond of magic, isn't it? It is, you know, and again, I suppose it is history now, but to be perfectly honest, the whole thing about all of this is, I, I, as I keep on saying, I think it, like my stories, I'm, I'm, I'm not a non black man, I'm not a this, I'm not a <laughs> I'm not an actress, I'm just me, and I'm a person that actually was a Bond fan. I, I still am, yeah. not in the new ones but so much, but a massive Bond fan. But I, I, mm. 
I, I really want other people to go. It's inspiring. It's really inspiring. Yeah. And, 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 and at least enjoy what I'm saying. And, and if not, hopefully it inspires other people. Thank you much. so much, Alan. All right. Yeah, and thank take you. Take care. I thoroughly enjoyed it too. Really the best. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.